1: Turkey voices concern for Finland's application to NATO. Turkey's security concerns should be also uh, met. The battle for the border heats up as the end of Title 42 draws near. The border's been open uh, in
2: practice since January 20th, 2021.
1: Wall Street sees its worst day since 2020.
3: Um, And that does raise concerns of a a steeper slowdown, especially as we're getting into 2020.
1: This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, May 19th. I'm Mike Scott. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says that the military alliance stands ready to seize a historic moment and move quickly on allowing Finland and Sweden to join its ranks after the two countries submitted their membership requests. The NATO Secretary-General welcomed the request by Sweden and Finland to join the bloc. I warmly welcome the requests by Finland and Sweden to join NATO. You are our closest partners,
0: and your membership in NATO would increase our shared
1: security. The applications you have made today are an historic step. Stoltenberg confirmed the process should be quick, but note some allies may raise some concerns. The security interests of all allies have to be taken into account. And we are determined to work through all issues and reach rapid conclusions. In the effort to smooth concerns, the U.S. struggled yesterday to get clarity from Turkey over its opposition of Finland and Sweden joining NATO as The Turkish President Erdogan took an increasingly tough line against their membership bids. In a meeting with Secretary of State Antony Blinken at the UN, the Turkish foreign minister offered mixed signals. He affirmed his country's support for NATO's open-door policy and its understanding of Finland and Sweden's desire to join the alliance following the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Turkish Foreign Minister Mevlut Cavusoglu says his nation has legitimate concerns about Finland and Sweden joining NATO. We
2: understand their security concerns, but Turkey's security concerns
1: should be also uh, met. Meanwhile, a Russian soldier pled guilty to murder charges on Wednesday in Ukraine's first war crimes trial since Russia's invasion began. Vadim Shishimarin, is accused of murder in the death of a 62-year-old unarmed civilian on February 28. The 21-year-old testified that he only fired at the civilian on orders from a superior. He faces a maximum sentence of life in prison. According to a report by the Washington Examiner, who was able to obtain federal court documents, The number of migrants attempting to enter the U.S. illegally from Mexico in April surpasses all previous records over the past century. Per the report in April, U.S. border officials intercepted 234,088 migrants attempting to enter the country illegally. The 234,000 is the highest number on record, outpacing the 220,000 at the southern border in March of 2000. Since President Biden has been in office, federal law enforcement officials at the southern border have stopped more than 2.7 million people attempting to cross into the U.S. without permission. These staggering numbers are making some question the Biden administration's determination to end Title 42, a Trump-era public health measure that has allowed Border Patrol agents to turn migrants away at the border. Julio Rosas, senior writer at Town Hall, joins the Daybreak Insider podcast to discuss the latest from the border and the future of Title 42.
2: So the, the, whole, the whole idea is that, unfortunately, they, they don't have the capability to handle what's been happening as of today, which is about seven to 8,000 people illegally crossing on a daily basis, which uh, during the Obama years, if it was over 1,000, and it was a crisis back then. So, I mean, that's to get kind of perspective. So that's why, I mean, when I've when i when I've spoken to people who live and work down by the border, whether it's law enforcement or local residents, they're not entirely too confident about DHS's capability to be able to handle this president.
1: Rosas explains that when DHS has been asked about ending Title 42, they have placed the blame on the CDC.
2: So they have repeatedly said that they are just simply following the guidance from the Centers for Disease Control because they keep saying that it is uh, the, the Title 42 falls under under their purview in terms of being able to say, yes, you can enforce it. So all, all they've been kind of uh, deflecting it and shifting responsibility away from, from themselves by just saying, oh, well, we're following what the CDC says about, about COVID policy. He
1: goes on to point out the difference in how COVID is handled between U.S. citizens and illegal migrants.
2: Now, that again, that is interesting just simply because the COVID emergency declaration for the country has been extended yet again to go into the summer. So the the Biden administration's approach to COVID when it comes to American citizens has been starkly different to their approach to COVID to people who are literally across the border, which is that it favors people who are cross across the border. And again, you know, that's just one thing that has never made sense from a consistency standpoint from the Biden administration, just also just because of the fact that they did help cause this, this influence. Of
1: Rosas explains that when Title 42 is lifted, there will be penalties for those who cross the border illegally.
2: Now, the, the flip side is there will be actual penalties that will be attached to people who are deported once Title 42 goes away. So, the, uh, so DHS is saying that With Title 42 no longer being in place, we'll be actually able to punish people who do not qualify for asylum, and will then be deported back. And if they get caught again, there will be stiffer penalties to go along with that. Um, So it just all depends on whether or not the enforcement aspect for that is actually going to be followed here by the Biden administration. Which, I mean, uh, again, remains to be seen. Just because they clearly haven't been enforcing. Uh, many of the nation's immigration laws at least at least think uh, spirit uh, because
1: of the with the influx of migrants, border states like Texas have taken matters into their own hands by partnering with Mexico to stem illegal immigration. However, Rosas points out that rampant corruption in the Mexican government gives such arrangements. Mixed results.
2: Those kind of agreements with with Texas and the, the Mexican border states that that go along with Texas, uh, that has been uh, kind of mixed results because you have to remember. I mean, the, the 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 governments, especially in the northern parts of Mexico, are very very corrupt. They're very much in, involved with the cartels in terms of either uh, taking part in it or just looking the other way. Um, so. It, it, it's a good, it, it's a good step, but at, at the same time, it, it, Texas can only do so much because they are just a state. I mean, th- this is again the whole reason why that this is a problem is because the the federal government has essentially just abdicated its responsibility.
1: Rosas goes on to say that in fact, Mexican authorities find it almost insulting that they are dealing with a state, and not the federal government.
2: In terms of these these the pay agreements. <laughs> Some, actually I can tell you some, some of the uh, polit- politicians in Mexico have kind of taken it as, as, a, as an affront to, to their side, to their, uh, government because, uh, again, the, the, state, the Mexican states are dealing with an American state and not with the, the federal government at, at large. But then, then the question is, well, then what's the state supposed to do when the federal government doesn't do its job? And Texas is saying, well, we're just going to go ahead and do
1: it. So. The DHS secretary recently visited the border to discuss how his department was preparing for the ending of Title 42, and Rosas wasn't impressed.
2: He was just the talking points that uh, immigration law is going to be enforced and that the border is not open, which is, of course, uh, ridiculous uh, to, for him to try to claim that when the border has been open uh, in practice since. Since January 20th of 2021 so he, he the, the whole point of the trip was to again put on put on a smile and, and just try to reassure the country that they are actually handling this, this problem this challenge as they like to call it uh, but it's not, nothing nothing's changed nothing really is different
1: when asked if he feels state lawsuits against the Biden administration to keep title 42 in place will be successful. Rosas has this to say. It's
2: pretty significant that the lawsuits were able to go forward uh, in the first place. Um, and I think what goes in the state's favor is, again, the different approaches that the Biden administration has taken when it comes to the COVID response. Uh, because on one hand, you can't say that the, co- the, the, the COVID pandemic is still so dire that we still need to require vaccination uh, for people coming into the country or, or a COVID tests. As a negative protest for American citizens to come back into the country, but then but then come around and say, "But we don't need Title 42 anymore because the pandemic has eased enough to where we don't need it to be applied to the border anymore." So it, it, so that goes in a state favor because obviously because again anyone can just look at that and see okay what does it make sense so they have a good chance, uh, I would say. But again, even as I just said before, even if it remains in place, not much is going to change at the border, unfortunately, in terms of sending the flow of, of people.
1: This weekend's mass shooting in Buffalo, New York, has renewed pressure on Senate Democrats to try and pursue new gun control bills. But Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia is not cooperating. More on this from Daybreak Insiders, Bernie Bennett on Capitol Hill. Manchin says the pared-down Manchin-Toomey proposal to expand background checks is the only reform that has a chance of passing the 50-50 Senate, undercutting Democrats' hopes of passing broader legislation. While more ambitious proposals to ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines never had a chance of getting 60 votes in the Senate, Democrats hope to at least unify their caucus behind the background checks legislation passed by the House last year. But Manchin on Tuesday said his old proposal negotiated with retiring GOP Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania that could expand background checks for commercial transactions is the best option. Bernie Bennett in Washington. Tuesday night was the biggest day of the 2022 primary season to date. Five states casting votes for Senate, Governor, and the House. Former President Donald Trump, who's been preoccupied with trying to pick winners in midterm contests, had a mixed night with some candidates he backed winning like Pennsylvania Republican Doug Mastriano while North Carolina Representative Madison Cawthorn was ousted from his seat. Meanwhile, the battle for the Republican nomination for Pennsylvania's open U.S. Senate seat is still too close to call. Dr. Mehmet Oz and GOP rival Dave McCormick running neck and neck. MSNBC Steve Kornacki joined the Hugh Hewitt Show to discuss Tuesday's primary election results. Kornacki says that there are still outstanding votes that will determine the GOP Senate nomination in Pennsylvania.
4: How many mail-in ballots need to be counted? And my answer depends on when we can get that question answered. I, I, it, it, because McCormick has been leading Mehmet Oz in the mail-in ballots by about nine points. So there's the potential there if there's enough of them that he could overtake on that. But we're trying to nail down how many there are.
1: Kornacki also says there is a good chance that the GOP primary Senate race may be in recount territory.
4: That's the other potential on this right now. However this shakes out, if you're inside of half a percent on the margin, there's a statewide recount trigger. And it's hard to look at this. You know, I'm seeing... 0.18% right now, separating odds from McCormick in the statewide count. um, It it seems very plausible this thing lands inside recount territory.
1: Kornacki says that come November, Republican Doug Mastriano may have a tough time winning over Pennsylvania voters in a general election.
4: I think that the types of voters there um, that were turned off by Trump in uh, 2020 it, it, it's hard to see them rallying around Mastriano.
1: Cornacki goes on to say that whether it's Oz or McCormick who wins the GOP nomination, they may hope for a split ticket in November.
4: I think if you're, you know, if you're a Republican in Pennsylvania, whether this is Oz or whether this is McCormick who emerges from this, um, I, I, I think you're looking at a situation realistically where you're trying to you're trying to get a split ticket result, and they're not unheard of. We saw it, you know, we saw it in Maine. In, yep. uh, in 2020, yep. but they're, they're increasingly rare.
1: The Department of Homeland Security on Wednesday paused a new and controversial board's work on disinformation and accepted the resignation of its leader, capping weeks of concerns about impinging on free speech rights and frenzied conspiracy theories about the board itself. Former Disinformation Governance Board Director Nina Jankowicz told the AP hours after resigning that the wave of attacks and violent threats she's fielded since the board's launch will not stop her from speaking out about disinformation campaigns pulsing through the social media feeds of Americans. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre says DHS is pausing the governance board less than a month after its creation.
4: The board has never convened uh, it, uh, so that's it, it never convened and it, and the board is uh, is yes the board is uh, is is pausing in the sense that it will not convene while former Secretary Chertoff and former deputy AG gorlick uh, do their assessment, uh, but the departments work across several administrations to address disinformation that threatens the security of our country is critical and that will indeed continue jean
1: Pierre says it is her opinion that the board was wrongly characterized by critics.
4: It was never about censorship, policing, speech, or removing content from anywhere. Its function was to keep Homeland Security officials aware of how bad actors, including human smugglers, uh, transnational criminal uh, organization, and foreign adversaries could use disinformation uh, to advance their goals.
1: U.S. stocks fell sharply with two of the major indices, suffering their worst day since 2020, as the latest set of disappointing earnings from large retailers raised investors' fears of a recession. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed Wednesday down 1,164 points, or about 3.6 percent, its lowest closing level since March of 2021. The slide prompted Wall Street to wrestle with the idea that the global economy could be headed for a recession. Veronica Clark, CineGroup's global market economist, joined Bloomberg Live to discuss the market sell-off and, if it heralds, a coming recession.
3: The, the forward-looking nature of, of markets, you know, we're always going to be one step ahead. I would say in the next... Six months or so, we're, we're not worried about, you know, recession risks for, for the near term. Um, but I think markets are right to react to a much more hawkish Fed um, and a Fed that might have to be even more hawkish than what's already priced. Um, and that does raise, you know, concerns of a, a steeper slowdown, especially as we're getting into 2023.
1: Clark says that she does expect inflation to continue.
3: I think you do need to look at these drivers of inflation that we had, you know, going back a year ago that the Fed, of course, initially dismissed as, as transitory. And that wasn't things like. Used car prices and, and goods prices generally, which have been really strong, and there was some, you know, expectation of maybe we'd reach peak inflation um, with the last print that we got for March, um, last CPI print. But we had CPI data last week, of course, um, for, for April, and I don't think you know we can say that we're we're at peak inflation yet.
1: When asked which was more concerning, the high cost of food or energy prices, Clark gave this opinion.
3: In terms of actual share of what consumers spend on, it would be food. Um, And if we look at like CPI, that is a larger weight in in CPI. Of course, it's probably easier to maybe shift away from consumption of energy if you use public transportation in in some parts of the country um, than food. I would say that that food inflation is, is somewhat more concerning.
1: The head of the central bank will keep raising interest rates until inflation is brought under control. Daybreak Insider's White House correspondent Greg Clungston goes inside the numbers. Chairman Jerome Powell says the Federal Reserve is determined to hike short-term interest rates in order to help
4: bring down prices. It's a high-stakes effort that carries the risk of causing an eventual recession. Powell told a Wall Street Journal conference that what we need to see is inflation coming down in a clear and convincing way. And he said, we're going to keep pushing
1: until we see that. Greg Clungston, Washington. And finally, the greatest show on earth is returning. After a six-year hiatus, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus is set to return soon. But with one big change, no animals. The Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus shut down in 2017 after 146 years citing the high price of putting on the show waning popularity and pressures from animal rights activists. Instead of animals, the family-owned company will put on a new Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus with a number of death-defying and awe-inspiring human feats. Kenneth Feld, producer for the revamped circus, says that the focus of Ringling Brothers has always been human possibility.
0: The greatest show on earth has always inspired the very best of human possibility. Our performers celebrate cultures from all over the world.
1: Producer Juliet Feld Grossman says that reimagining the show will celebrate the world's greatest performers.
4: Reimagining the Greatest Show on Earth starts with our audience. It's a balancing act of sparking wonder, creating simple fun, and creating a production that celebrates the world's most thrilling acts and performances.
1: The Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus show dates back to the mid-1800s when Phineas Taylor Barnum joined forces with the five Ringling Brothers to create the modern circus. They ended the show's legendary run in New York. On May twenty first, twenty seventeen.
3: Everybody, is is back. Back. Ringling, Ringling is, is back. back. Ringling is back.
1: Woo-hoo! Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at Daybreakinsider.com.